You're listening to the Story Centric Podcast. Welcome to episode 5 of the Story Centric Podcast with me, your host, Andrew Buckley. This week, we welcome Omari Newton to the podcast. He is a Canadian actor and the department head for acting at the Vancouver Film School, which was a school I attended back at the turn of the century. He is best known for his roles of Larry Summers in Blue Mountain State and as Lucas Ingram in Continuum. He has also voiced Black Panther for Marvel on various properties since 2012. On top of all that, he's also a writer, a slam port, and an MC. So he's got a lot of cool experiences to share with us. Great conversation with him about different aspects of his career and some wonderful advice for anybody looking to get into acting or into voice acting and how to tell a story using just your voice. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. We do not have an official sponsor for this particular episode, but I do want to throw a plug in here for the Wine Country Writers Festival taking place September 22nd to 24th in beautiful Penticton, British Columbia. If you're interested in writing at all, this is a great uh, boutique festival to go to. It occurs annually. I will be there recording a panel of authors as they talk about uh, storytelling, which is going to become a story-centric episode. Uh, I'm also going to be hosting a late night show on the Saturday, uh, which is going to be a ton of fun. Uh, So I do encourage you to check that out. If you're going to be in the area or you feel like traveling to Penticton and checking this out, uh, passes are still available for the weekend. There's some wonderfully talented authors going to be in attendance. I do encourage you to check it out. So you can take a look at that at wcwfestival.com. All right, let's get to the show. Introducing Mr. Omari Newton. Let's start at the very beginning of it all. Uh, where were you born? Where did you grow up? I was born in Montreal, Quebec, uh, in a neighborhood called Côte des Neiges, um, which is, I think that means neighborhood of snow. I think that's the French translation. <laughs> Weird, okay. Yeah, yeah. So grew up in, in Montreal and Côte des Neiges and then moved from, Côte des Neiges is kind of like closer to downtown, and then moved to the suburbs um, when I was in like grade one and then lived there and then moved further west in the suburbs after that so kind of in and around montreal until i was 27 and crazy okay so you were there for quite some time then yeah yeah it was uh most of my like young adult life was there in my my entire childhood and then i moved to vancouver in about uh, 2007 okay so the the acting and such was all developed out east then not on the west coast yeah, I started uh, doing theater when I was in Montreal. Uh, the the first thing I did was like a church play what, way back in the day. Where I, I think I might have mentioned this before, but I was cast as Moses in um, a church play. So awesome. Being black, being black Moses was a good sign that I was on the right path. Yep. Uh, and then like high school uh, theater and elementary school, I did improv and stuff and got my first agent in grade 11. In grade 11. That's crazy. That's young. Yeah, it's pretty young. It's pretty uh, I'm not sure if I mentioned it last time we spoke, but I did a play, a Shakespeare, uh, at my high school, and we had a show, and like one of three people in the audience of this high school matinee was an agent, and they and they signed me. Man, that's fortuitous. Holy crap. Mm-hmm. Man. Uh, okay, so grade 11, you already have an agent, which is a young, young age to get an agent at. Um, where did you go from there? So from there, I started auditioning for film and television. This might, man, this would have been... 97, 98. 
Um, okay. But I, I was done high school. And Quebec has this weird system where uh, high school only goes up to grade 11. And then there's these two years before university that they call Sejap, which is kind of like college. But it's in Quebec, college is separate from university. It's a little, it's strange. Most places it goes up to grade 12, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I grew up in England, so like, it's already really weird over there. But in England, it's separated by, co- by college and university as well. And we even have like a sixth form that lives between high school and college too. So even more confusing. But I know here in BC, they have, you, no, you can do you go to college or university. You don't have to do one before the other. But out there, you got to do college first. Well, just because the rest of Canada, high school is a, a year longer. So, like, technically, if, if you right. finish high school, it might have changed. This was back in, like, the 90s, right? 90s, yeah. But when you finished high school in Quebec, uh, if you wanted to go to university somewhere else that wasn't, like, anywhere else, basically, you would need to get more credits because well, there's a year of less high school. It's really, really weird. any case, I went to John Abbott College and studied liberal arts for two years, did my degree, and... While I was there, they had this program, amazing program called Theater Workshop, where anyone in any program, so you could be in economics and sciences and in arts, anyone could take this class that basically consisted of rehearsing and putting on a play. Right. It was the whole class. So I did, I did four plays while I was in college uh, as part of this program called Theater Workshop. So that basically helped kind of develop you into, you know, the or develop the acting book more, I suppose. I mean, you already must have had it, right? I mean, what what was it that like really like pushed you towards wanting to do that? Like, what was it in you that really wanted to be an actor? Like, I wanted to be a writer because my imagination was ridiculous. I was an only child. I had imaginary friends. I was that weird ass kid. Uh, and yeah. so writing was a natural uh, area for me to go into. But like, how did, you know, your journey start for acting? Like, what was the uh, ethos? Yeah. I I was one of those weird kids, although actually I should go all the way back. So, <laughs> I, so I was born with polyps on my vocal cords. Um, and polyps are like it's what like singers get if they push their voice too much. And right. it affects the way you speak. Sometimes you lose your voice. So when I was a really young kid, um, I had this like really super raspy voice like this. And I would lose my voice all the time. So then I had, I had surgery on my vocal cords in the third grade to, to clear that up. But I'd always like loved performing and being in school plays, but because of my voice, I'd get cast as like the tree or like <laughs> the the ass end of the caterpillar. <laughs> you know? So I had the surgery done and then my voice worked properly. Uh so I was like super stoked now that I could talk without losing my voice. And I would I would watch shows on TV and try to copy the accents and the voices and the dialects uh on the cartoons that I saw. So that's it was kind of one of those things where I was just I was just a, a kind of a nerd who liked copying voices. It's your nerdy thing that took you there. Man, think if you had to have that surgery. Think of all the work we, we've missed of you being a tree. Like, it could have been, a, <laughs> could have been this amazing career you had. Listen, I was on a path. I could have played <laughs> everything in the forest, from the caterpillars to the trees. I could have been a mean shrub, uh, a rock with mold, but but alas, it wasn't meant to be. That's a, that's a, that's a bummer, man. Uh, um, okay, so... You go through all this kind of training. Uh, what are your early gigs then? I mean, other than theater. Mm-hmm. My first ever day on a set was this movie starring, it was like a TV movie starring Vanessa Williams that originally was called Quadroon Ball, but I think they changed the, the, the name of it to Courage to Love. It's on IMDb now. And it's, it's actually, it's pretty hilarious slash depressing, but my first two credits <laughs> on my resume were Slave Number 2 and Thug Number 1. Those were the first gigs I booked in the 90s when we were far less woke then. Like they didn't really, 
<laughs> I didn't really like the film industry was not as progressive as it is now, right? We, were, we weren't woke at all. We were in a coma. We were in a coma. Yeah, we weren't woke at all. It was pretty brutal. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that was my first ever time on a film set. Was I yeah playing the slave in this movie? And I remember my line was, "Please, sir, it's yellow fever." I, like I went to the door of the lead guy and said, "Please, sir, it's yellow fever." And I was so bad in this that I got dubbed over. They didn't tell me this, but my voice got dubbed over. And then when I, I swear to you, I'm not making this up. I've told this story before. I don't know if I ever told it on a podcast, but when I finally like went to Blockbuster and saw the movie and like rented it, I saw my scene come up and I swear to you, they dubbed my voice over with an Irish guy. No <laughs> way. That's amazing. I have this vivid memory of like the first half was me. So you hear me going like, please, sir. And then you hear it's yellow fever. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. Of all the things you couldn't find. Oh, brutal. And I, I, I distinctly remember this and being like, oh my God, like, that's horrible. Like, obviously this was not a massive budget production. Well, the Irish guy was all they had available. But I mean, he was great. He, he, he should have done the whole role. I, I guess so. Uh, it's funny to think that now you you do you do voice acting such a fair amount. But back then, your first role was... Some other voice actor dubbing over. Getting dubbed over. I mean, I was also, I had no idea what I was doing. I was so nervous that I, I missed lunch because I was in my trailer. And they, when they called and said that lunch is coming now, I didn't know what that meant. So I just waited in my trailer for someone to bring me lunch like an idiot. <laughs> and, uh, they don't bring you lunch. You got to go out and get lunch. So <laughs> no, This guy knows nothing. He was born to play trees, clearly. Nothing. <sighs> Man. Okay, so you went from there. Small roles with, you know, unnamed characters. Um, yep. How did it progress from there into your 20s? So I did a lot of theater. So actually, after I finished that program, theater workshop at John Abbott College, uh, I got accepted to Concordia University's communications program. Cool. And for those who don't know, communication studies, at least the way it was taught in Canton, uh, Concordia, it's like everything involved with the making of film and TV and audio, but off camera. So it's everything except for performing. And I figured if I studied something adjacent to uh, performing, I'd have a backup plan. If like I knew I wanted to be an actor, but I was like, if the backup fell through, then I'd have this thing that I could go to. And then what happened was I kept booking roles. So I booked this role in a show uh, called My Children, My Africa, written by Athel Fugard, that an amazing theater company called Black Theater Workshop was producing. And I took an entire year. And amazingly, my parents were, were totally down with this, but I deferred my acceptance to university for a year while I went and did this play. And then I, at first I thought I was going to do it for half a year. Then I did the play. It went really well, got great reviews. And then the same company cast me as a lead in their next play. So I ended up uh, spending the entire year as a 19-year-old. I think I turned 20 during the run of the show working as a professional stage actor. Wow. It must have been a crazy experience at that age. It was pretty wild. Like, I, I, I don't know if I'm the, the, I'm sure I'm not the youngest person to get my union card, but like, I was a full Actors' Equity member at age 19. Wow, I, that's, that's wild. Full, full deal. Yeah. Huh. Uh, what are some of the best lessons you learned from that experience, especially at that age? Mm. I was really lucky in that I've never, I've never trained formally as an actor, which I find hilarious and kind of ironic because now I'm the head of the acting department. It's <laughs> school. It's pretty never, funny. I've never done formal acting training myself, but obviously I've taken tons of classes and workshops and, you know, but my first director and mentor was a woman named Kate Bly, who was a graduate. I I can't remember. I think she went to Central School of Drama in London. I think I know she had a master's and she was like, she went to a classic 
British conservatory to train. Mm -hmm. So even though I didn't go to school, my formation as an actor was under the tutelage of this person who was trained in the British system and had a master's degree. So I learned all about like text analysis and objectives and obstacles. And to this day, I use Uta Hagen's respect for acting or the challenge for the actor. Like I, it was like, it was like my theater school, that year of working as a professional theater artist. And there was also an awesome actor named Tyrone Benskin, who uh, he's still a working actor today, but he was the main character in the play I was in. And I just learned a ton working with this senior actor. Man, that's wild. It must have been such a cool experience to kind of go through that at a young age, to have a mentor and have, you know, people who've been in it for a while to really draw off. And it, I mean, what a cool kind of, you know, full circle moment that you are the, uh, the department head for acting at uh, Vancouver Film School. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was pretty cool. Like I, you know, interestingly, I started teaching at a very young age because I had this experience doing theater. That same company had what was called a, a youth works program. So they were teaching like kind of elementary age school kids about acting and, and, you know, performing. So even though I was only 19, 20, I was teaching kids who were like 12 and 13 about stage acting because I was working as a professional actor. So yeah, education and mentorship has always been part of the journey. And it, it's kind of fitting now that I find myself running an education department. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, before we get away from the uh, move on from the theater stuff, uh, your parents are both uh, from Trinidad, Tobago, right? Yeah, yeah. Both of them. My, my mom is from San Fernando and my mm -hmm. father's from Port of Spain, which is the capital of uh, Trinidad, Tobago. Gotcha. So, I mean, uh, was... Uh, what's the best way to frame it? Like w the culture that they grew up with. I mean, was any of that kind of passed on to you at a young age? And kind of how did it? How that did that kind of inform how you how you went through? You know, the the early stages of your career, I suppose. Because mm -hmm. it's not like acting is a. It's not like most people go to their parents and be like, "I want to be an actor," and parents are like, "Yeah, it's <laughs> that's not that." But I don't know what the culture is like. Um, from Trinidad and Tobago. So how, how did that kind of factor into everything? It, it's weird. I've been very blessed slash privileged in my life because, you know, traditionally when parents immigrate from anywhere, especially from, you know, Trinidad and Tobago is a smaller country. It's, a, it's not as wealthy as Canada or the U.S. Traditionally, there's a lot of pressure on kids. You know, we came here to give you a better life and go be a doctor, go be a lawyer. My parents were basically like, look, just get a degree in anything. We don't care what it is. Get a degree in everything and then pursue whatever it is that makes you happy, that's what you should do for a living. We just want you to get a degree because they're like, if you figure out like that you didn't want to be an actor, if you figure out in like whatever, 10, 15 years that this is not what you want to do, you don't want to be 30, 35, 40 with no degree starting from scratch. And it was incredible advice that I'm glad that they instilled that in me and I'm glad that I pushed through and finished my degree. So. I feel that's like that would be a rarity from, you know, parents in the 90s to, to I mean, I, I know that when I went and said I wanted to work in film and I wanted to be a writer and that's kind of where I wanted to go. Like it, it wasn't met with the kind of adversity where it's like, okay, you try that kind of thing, <laughs> you know, because yeah, I don't think many people go for it. I think people, especially parents who, you know, had kids in the 80s, 90s, um, who grew up in the 50s, 60s, 70s, had a kind of a very, you know, archaic work experience thing, whereas you go to work, you get the job, you work at it, you work nine to five, you work till retirement, you get a retirement, you die. Like, that's kind of how it was all mostly instilled. So it's kind of cool to hear that, you know, in the 90s, there were parents who were doing that. Yeah, it, it is uncommon. It, it's, mm -hmm. it's funny. And I think I'm fortunate. I know I have a lot of friends who have trauma 
from their parents basically either being indifferent to their dreams or straight up against their dreams. But yeah, my parents were really cool. They were just like, do what makes you happy. Just cover your ass with a degree. That's amazing. You can, you can do it. You can do whatever you want, but make sure you have the, the one degree. Pretty much. Crazy. Okay, so you're doing theater out east. You're learning a bunch of crazy stuff, early 20s. Um, mm-hmm. What's the big next milestone that occurs for you at that point? Uh, so uh, did that year of theater, went back to school uh, at, at Concordia, communications. Then I, my first like guest starring role on a TV series was this show called Vampire High. Very, very random. It was on mm-hmm. YTV, and I played this guy named Dalton Niemers, who I was like one of one of the main vampire characters. The, the, the episode was about who they regretted killing the most, like the person they remember and they regret. And I played this soldier from Virginia who this guy killed. He was like a really nice guy, and the vampire kind of felt bad about it because he was a nice guy. And that was my first uh, guest star, Dalton Niemers on Vampire High. It's time to get your story straight. This podcast episode is sponsored by Wordsmith Academy, a dynamic online writing school featuring self-paced classes and story coaching services. Our online writing courses cover a wide range of topics from story structure and character development to author tools and book marketing. Whether you just have a great story idea or are a seasoned professional or simply looking to navigate the writing world, Wordsmith Academy has something for everyone. Sign up for a course today at wordsmithacademy.com. I mean, you played played kind of a variety of roles in your career anyway. I mean, like police officers, superheroes. Uh, is there any particular type of character that you really enjoy playing or is it every single one kind of a new challenge for you? Hmm. I like characters that have a comedic element to them you know i just mm-hmm. i don't know I, f- I feel like i find everything is absurd i find life is is really funny and i i just in general i laugh a lot like my wife and i both laugh a lot at the absurdity of everything and i find it weird when i'm on a show that's like a drama and everything is like very serious and like this serious but even like i did this sci-fi show that was a wonderful experience and i just kind of ended up being the comic relief even though it wasn't it wasn't a comedy show but just because the way I played it, things came off as funny. So right. my preference is, yeah, playing characters that are allowed to uh, to be funny or see the, the humor in things. Okay, so that brings me, I mean, I'm going to bounce a little my, my original structure here. But it does bring up something because I did notice, I mean, you had, did I see that there was like stand-up comedy somewhere in your oh, man, repertoire? Yeah, yeah. I, now, preface this because my friend gets mad at me. I did a couple open mics. It's not like I was like a, a touring comic. <laughs> Because my, bu- my buddy once was like, stop telling people you were a stand-up comedian. <laughs> I, was like, I wasn't. I wasn't. But I, I've done some stand-up. And uh, I, I've done, like, sketch comedy. Um, and I used to do improv. So co- I, comedy was part of what I was doing. But I, it was never, it never made it past, like, open mic at a bar. But, yeah, I, I got to do some stand-up. <laughs> That's cool. Okay. It's, it's on your IMDb page. It's under trivia. So I was like, huh, stand stand comedy. That's really good. I I love comedy. Like, I love stand-up comedians. Like, in another galaxy, in another universe, I might even try to do that. But I feel like having one super unstable, highly stressful, (laughs) low-paying profession is enough. Like, I I don't know if I need to be an actor and a stand-up comedian. (laughs) 
I don't know. Those can go hand in hand. There's some stoic comedians who make a great career as actors and vice versa. Uh, yeah. No, for sure. Well, it's funny, actually. I, I've, I've had people ask me before and approach me and think and be like, do you want to do that? You know, what do you think about it? My wife was like, you really want to launch a comedy career post 40? <laughs> uh, she sounds like the voice of reason in your, in your life. She's much smarter than I am. She's very, very intelligent. She's right. Although I honestly, though, I love it so much that like, if and when I retire, sorry, my dog is now eating my second insole. She literally well, just picked up my bloodstones and she's taken both of them out and she's eating my insoles. Well, she sorry. had the first one. I mean, she's going to want the second one. That's yeah. They're very old, so I'll let her mess with it for a while, but that's absurd. She's a completionist. Yeah, she is. But yes, I love comedy so much that when I retire, I might just do it for fun. Okay, cool. That's not a bad way to go. I've always thought I'd love to do it, but I'm always absolutely terrified of that that stage thing. That's 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 scary. Who your okay? Well, who your favorite comedians before we shift off of the subject? Oh man, of all time? Yeah, give me like top five. Gotta go, Bill Hicks. I gotta go, uh, Chris Rock um bill burr now i know this is controversial to say now because he's been kind of an asshole for a while but i i'm a huge Ch- Chappelle fan not oh, not, yeah. his, not his transphobia stuff but like the Chappelle show was massive uh for me growing up and i, I loved his stand-up before he went down this this weird road of like <laughs> i can say anything and i don't listen to anybody but yeah Chappelle, um eddie Mur- obviously eddie murphy like obviously yeah that makes yeah. sense Sorry, okay. so yeah we we match up on a few uh I've never really got into, into Bill Burr, but I, I appreciate his style of comedy. Chappelle, I've loved for, I, I find to be a real, I mean, other than the controversial stuff, very, very smart comedian. Like yes. his, his structure is something else. Yes. Uh, but that's interesting. So, okay, with the humor stuff, because it's something I didn't know initially about you, um, but I did uh, look up uh, in the research. Um, you're kind of drawn to, to satirical comedy, which I love because I'm a, I'm a satire writer. I write satirical fantasy and uh, paranormal mm-hmm. fantasy. So you had uh, Redbone Coothand, which I believe is a play, and you also yeah. wrote a satirical take on um, Titus Andronicus, I believe, both yeah. with your wife, right? Is that yeah, right? yeah, wow. okay, yeah. So I mean, satire is not like an easy thing to write. It's a really hard freaking thing to sell because I know from you know the ten years it took me to finally get published is that you know humor is a real tough sell on people it's yeah. you know what i was told several times that is you know one person's giggle is another person's groan so yes first of all i guess you mean i can't i guess we kind of covered what draws you to that but like what made you go into writing that kind of stuff and like i mean how do you even attack it i suppose I mean, even from a structural concept standpoint yeah well i think the comedy that my wife and i write comes from a place of like righteous anger you know <laughs> Righteous anger and also just like exhaustion, you know. Yeah, I don't that's know. Fair. Like an example, I don't know how you felt about this, but I thought that "Don't Look Up" was a masterpiece. I loved it. Thought it was mean. It was dark. It was funny. I thought its targets were on point. Like that's the kind of stuff that that I love when you just see someone through a comedic lens skewering uh, an issue. And 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 for me, it's often skewing hypocrisy or skewering um, I don't know, just like injustice. So to me, I, I just find comedy is such a great weapon to take on social ills that it wouldn't be palatable if you just got on your on your platform and just preached to people they don't want to listen. But if you make them laugh while you're doing it, then they're much more receptive. Yeah, I mean, I've always argued that the container of you know comedy is such a great way to deliver anything. I mean, it helps us through trauma. It helps us deal with you know 
uh, horrible real world issues by framing it in a different light that makes it more digestible, which makes it, you know, easy to learn, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it's not an easy thing to write, though. Like, I mean, comedy is like, say, it's, it's it's tricky. Don't look up was an interesting one because I hated it when I first watched it, and then I rewatched. It. I was like, oh, I get it, because <laughs> it's not generally my my style of humor. But I, I totally saw where where it was coming from, so I could certainly appreciate it for the the kind of genius it was. Um, so, what kind of um, uh, I guess to finish up this part with the with the satire thing, like um, it's always something you keep returning to. Like, do you have? Because, I mean, you do acting, you do voice acting. Writing is obviously something that you're passionate about. Like, how do you balance yeah. all this out? Um, and, like, is the more writing that you're, you know, you have waiting in the wings that you want to tackle? Oh, yeah. I'm writing, I'm writing tons. It's just, for me, I don't know. I, I've said this before, but I feel like the things that I have to say are infinitely more interesting than the way that I say things. That's the way that I define it for me. It's like, I'm an okay actor. I'm a serviceable actor. I think I'm a better voice actor than I am on camera. I'm a better stage actor than I am on camera, but I feel like I, I have, um, not that I'm a great writer, but I just feel like there's, I have, um, what's the word, a confidence with writing and an ease with writing that, I, that comes naturally to me, whereas I have to work really, really hard to be good at acting, <laughs> and I'm still not that good. Whereas I watch I watch Meryl Streep and Daniel Day Lewis and I go oh you were born to do this I watch myself and I'm like oh that was all right that, I believe that. <laughs> that one moment there you know this could be a great tagline on your IMDb page Mario Newton <laughs> says I'm, I'm okay I'm okay as an actor but but to be honest let's be honest here right there's like five actors that we really need do you know what I'm saying okay fair who are they like, like if you think about it if you look at like the the, the pantheon of actors right. There's like your Meryl Streep's, your, your Daniel Day-Lewis, Kate Blanchett. I'll put DiCaprio in there. I think he's amazing. Denzel. You know, uh, Denzel, yeah, sure. De- Denzel. You know, like, I mean, like most of the A-list people don't make it there unless they're phenomenal. But like most actors are fine. They're fine. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I would love to know how you teach this at Vancouver Film School. <laughs> well, but, but I'm talking now about the craft. And you, are, the- you are. You are. Right, because I'm saying, yeah. like, I don't know. Even like, um, let me think here. Okay, great example. I really think that the cast of Friends are super talented. Right, I think <laughs> Jennifer Aniston is a very talented actress. She's very natural. I think she plays herself very well. Does anyone really? Is anyone going to argue she is as good or as skilled as Kate Blanchett? And she's great. And this is a very successful multimillionaire. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it, I guess it's. I guess it's the line that you draw between, well, Denzel Washington being really good at, you know, everything that he does and The Rock being The Rock. Yeah, totally. And The, and the, the Rock, I think, is like, that's a whole other thing because there's, there's movie stars. I think he's great at being a movie star, right? He's a great celebrity, but I don't think anybody goes to see The Rock and is like, who is that on screen? <laughs> <laughs> like, he's transformed. I, I don't recognize this man. It's true. I mean, it doesn't happen for many. I, th- I mean, Sylvester Stallone has tried to take some swings in his career, but I mean, he was an action star and that's what he was. Oh. He, even though, he, I mean, Rocky was, you know, phenomenal acting. Oh God. This, listen, I, I defend S- Stallone often. I agree with you. He definitely has like a default action guy setting, but man, Rocky one is phenomenal. He's incredible in that oh, way. Yeah. And, and like Copland, he was fantastic. Copland was the other one. Yes. Yeah. Like he, he, he can be a wonderful actor, but you're right. Then there's also, but I feel like Denzel is the same thing. Denzel will do like um, Flight or Malcolm X or Training Day, 
but the then he equalizer. has like, or then he's got like <laughs> equalizer or like uh what's the other one like i don't know inside man like denzel has this mode where he just plays i'm the high status cool guy in charge which is great but it's not you know yeah i guess i guess some people just kind of fall into whatever they're I don't want to say they're lame because that seems really like putting them in a box, but you're right. I mean, Denzel can do this, you know, crazy high elevated stuff, but then he can be like, I'm going to kill everybody in the room kind of movie. Yeah. Uh, whereas Keanu kind of always, always stuck to yes. playing the, or being a really sweet guy in real life, it appears and playing kind of whatever makes, you know, fans happy, I suppose, is kind of what yeah. he defaults to. Totally. Which was... It's funny. I, I just rewatched the Matrix and, you know, he, Keanu's great at being Keanu, but I, I wouldn't say he's a great actor. But he's I I like I love him as a movie star. <laughs> yeah, well that brings it back. I mean, bring it back to comedy. I always have issues with comedy with uh, comedy actress because I'm like Melissa McCarthy just plays Melissa McCarthy all the time. She never yeah. really defaults out of that. Uh, Jason right. Bateman plays Jason Bateman in almost everything that he does. And he's 100%. great. He's great at playing Jason Bateman, and I will happily watch Jason Bateman all the time. But yeah, yeah totally that's true. Right. Well, it. Chris Chris Farley, David Spade, Sandler. Well, although Adam Sandler actually great actor. I, I was gonna great say actor. he's yeah. he's done some stuff, Uncut Gems and uh, Punch Drunk Love. Punch Punch, yeah, Punch Drunk Love. Yeah, and the yeah. basketball one was great too. I can't remember what the. I can't remember what it's called. Yeah, I don't it's remember either. The most recent ones, uh, but yeah, but then he turns around and does like Hoobie Halloween because <laughs> yeah, pays the bills. I guess I don't know. It's, it's interesting. All right. Yeah. Anyways. Um, science fiction and fantasy projects seem to be something that you're you've done a lot of uh you've been in continuum uh for you did quite a run on continuum right yeah four seasons yeah um x-files you've been in and uh you know numerous different marvel properties uh voicing black panther what draws you to the particular genre because i mean it seems like it it pops up quite a bit in your in your career Well, part of it, to be honest with you, is like that's a big part of what shoots in Vancouver is, uh, is sci-fi. Okay. Yeah. That's like home of CW and a lot of, um, you know, sci-fi shows like Stargates and X-Files shot out there. But the other thing is I, I was a nerd growing up, right? Like I, I was like, a, although it's, I, it's interesting, I was like a nerd jock hybrid because I played football and I played basketball uh, and I ran track and field and all that. But I, I also like read comic books. And would like nerd out watching Robotech and Astro Boy and like I I just like and yeah I just like nerdy stuff. So to me, it's always like a dream come true to get to work in a sci-fi show because I remember how much like Star Trek: The Next Generation meant to me when I was a kid. I mean, that's kind of so. Was it? I guess you had the hybrid. It was different. I'm gonna say it was different for you than it was for me. All right. So I was just a nerd without the cool jock side of it. So definitely not as uh, not as. Probably didn't come come across as sexy as you know whatever your teenage years were, but uh, <laughs> was there any backlash from you being nerdy at that time period, or did the the jockiness kind of overshadow that? So remember, I mentioned that I had that those polyps in my vocal cords when I was young, right? Right. I was such a loser when I was young because kids can be cruel, right? Because because I had that weird voice. Luckily, I had my sisters. I have a twin sister and I have an older sister, so it's not like I had like friends at school because I had my sisters with me. But right. I was such a loser until like third grade when sports became a thing when because I was a really fast runner. And when people discovered that I was a good athlete, it kind of made up for all the other nerdy qualities. But because I was like so socially isolated and so bullied as a kid, I distinctly remember it's going to sound it's going to sound really depressing, but it's true. I remember thinking like, if I ever have friends, I'll be really nice to people who don't have friends because this sucks. <laughs> That's not a bad thing, though. That's a good realization to have. Yeah, I think so. 
And I also, I also distinctly remember being like, I don't think I'm a bad person. Like I remember being, being like, I have a weird voice for sure, but I'm like, I don't think I'm a bad person. I feel like I should have friends. <laughs> I should be more popular than I am. This makes no sense whatsoever. That was like me with girls growing up there. I'm like, I'm funny and kind of cute and chubby. I mean, shouldn't girls like me? Plus, I'm really nice. Like, I'm not, I'm not an asshole. Like, right? And then, and then are, you, are you like married now? Or what's your, what's your, uh... yeah, well, yeah, I'm happily in a relationship. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it all played out in the end, especially when, you know, we get to like, you know, 2000s plus when being nerdy also became really sexy. And, yeah. You know, Comic Cons and everything came like a mainstream thing. And all of a sudden it was, it was acceptable. I was like, where was all this shit when I was a teenager and could have really this, used it? This is what I was trying to explain to my students. I was like, you guys think is sweet now, right? Like everybody's into their sci-fi conventions and, mm-hmm. and magna and anime and all this stuff. And I'm like, you don't understand. This made you a social pariah in the 90s. It did. This was, it wasn't cool to be into Marvel, <laughs> you know? Not at all. And that's a wrap for this episode, guys. I hope you enjoyed the first half of the conversation with Canadian actor Amari Newton. I encourage you to check out next week's episode when he talks about how he goes about uh, creating the voice for different characters and his view on acting and how absurd the world has become at large. It's an awesome bit of advice for anybody who's looking to get into any kind of creative field, to be perfectly honest. So I hope you will check it out. So I will see you guys next Tuesday. Tuesday.